you to be a missionary. Um, one of them will be over in the Heritage Square, which is very rural community, so that's what I'm pitching at this, at this moment. Um, it's so easy to be a missionary over there, but could be compared to one of those um, things that you wrap around your abdomen, you get six pack abs while you're watching TV. <laughs> you don't have to get on an airplane, you don't have to say, you don't have to do anything However, it's an awesome mission field. And uh, at this point, we have most of our major slots filled for the eight weeks, Saturday mornings in the summer, where, where we reach out to kids in Heritage Square. But we really could just use people that can just show up and help in the kitchen and stuff like that. The kind of uh, impact we have could be illustrated by our little conversation with a young man named James today. James is a real leader. If you are the minister of there, you know James. James' uh, mother was killed uh, when he was about three and a half. He's now six, just about to turn seven, okay? This little guy, we just prayed for him to come to the Lord about a month or two ago. He's six years old today. Um, we're just going around hanging door members of our kids' club, and he's talking to me, and he says, you know what you should do? You should go on the kids' TV channel and have them and tell them about kids' club. Six years old. This is the kind of, of impact that we can have, and, and after you and I go to be with Jesus, he'll be here checking things out. And the kingdom, right? Amen. So, seek out the eye if you'd like to um, participate with us. 10 30 to 12 30, eight consecutive Saturdays this summer. You can do some or all of those Saturdays. Appreciate it. Thanks. I keep wanting to say good morning, but that would be incorrect. But good afternoon. Sorry, I'm just going to move these because sometimes good evening now. Tend to be a pacer. So, welcome to all the visitors. It is wonderful to have you. Are there any people with us from Evergreen Church? Anyone at all? One, two. Could you guys stand up and feel first? That would be awesome. Why don't you Let me just firstly say something about my wife. She's telling me not to 
but I have to disobey just real fast. Uh, my wife has worked so hard on this website, her and many others, Kim might as well, and uh, it's been a long time coming, we've needed it, but she had to rebuild it from the ground up uh, to such a degree that a week, I think about a week ago, she worked all the way through the night, not, you know, I worked through the night and I went to bed at two, we worked all the way through the night, got dressed, got changed, went to work, and just working on it, that's happened a few times, so we want to thank her and others that have helped her.
headlong to a series on identity. And um, I've had, uh, can you pass my phone actually? Yeah. I've had more people speak to me about this. I've had one person tell me that I have no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> which is okay. Because I've had most of the feedback I've got, oh my God, see Michael there. But most of the feedback I've got um, is, is people being transformed in the way they were thinking, in the way they understand the Bible, in the way they understand the gospel, in what they think the gospel means, it doesn't mean, and so forth and so on. And I have been very encouraged, very encouraged, to see the truth impacting people's hearts. I, the reason I'm preaching so much on identity is because it sets people free to be who they actually are. And it's probably the biggest issue in the first world, not just this nation, across the world, where people are thrown by politics, people are fighting over politics and factions, and people in the church looks nothing different to the world except they have a different belief statement. So somewhere something has gone wrong, and I think it's in a fundamental understanding of the gospel. And many people that were raised in church, including myself, have been either hurt by the church, you will always be hurt by church. Let me just throw that out. Because the people who hurt you the most are the ones you have covenant with. That's why sometimes we get so hurt by our family. And so the people are always going to be flawed. That's what's going to take place. But when a person is secure in who God says they are, it's a game changer. And very few are. And so there's this truth that I'm trying to bring across. It's in my heart, almost like a, I said to Jen a little while ago, I feel like I have one message. It's like this long. And all I do on Sunday is just pick a portion. But it's, it's one message, and, and I'm just being very honest and real and vulnerable with you. The problem with this great, wonderful message of the truth of what the gospel is and your identity is that I would love to, I would love to take three weeks, sit down five days a week, three sessions a day, and just drill this into a group of people. I know, not because it's me or my message, because it's this, it will totally transform the way they think, it will totally transform the way they read the Bible, completely. Set them free from legalism and fear and religion and doubt. And that's what it does. I was meeting with a young man. Um, I met with a young man uh, the last couple of weeks. I met with him a few times. He texted me this. I just we've met two or three times. That's it. And I opened the scriptures to him. And I started to speak to him about the truth of who he is. And this is the text I got. He says, I found... Uh, some messages on it. It says they've really been helping me with the messages we've done, helping me submerge my mind with the truth. He says, and strengthen my belief in what the Bible actually says. It's crazy how you can read the Bible and miss the whole point of what it says. He says, it's like I saw it, but I didn't really believe it. And it's all of a sudden getting light bulb moments and actually understanding the power of the gospel. Simply because of understanding identity. So I know when I speak, I'm just being real, I know when I speak on this, there's so much in me, because it's, every person has many messages that they preach, especially a pastor, they have to preach the full council. But this is who I am. This is what the message that God has put in my mouth always has been, even with the young people. And so when I speak, it comes out fast and I jump all over. But I'm asking you to hear me, not for me, for you. I really believe it can set free. So, why don't you can turn to Matthew 28 if you have your Bibles, and we'll jump in there. And I've got a hard stop, a time that we're going to do a hard stop in my mind, and wherever we get to, we get to. And um, it really is a big deal. The result of the person who understands the identity, identity is actual natural evangelism. 
That's what it is. It's natural evangelism. You will actually, you cannot but help tell people about Jesus. Not in the way that you think, going and knocking on doors. Not like that. It shines out of your heart, shines out of your mouth, shines out of your life, out of your hands. You cannot almost help yourself. The result of people who understand the identity is that they can love correctly. You know that? We're going to go back to Adam. Adam wasn't born needing love. First Adam. That happened when sin entered. He started to need. Because he had everything he needed in Christ, in God. And everything he needed. And every person, as far back as you can remember, understands, I need love, I need acceptance, I need approval, I need these things to make up my identity. Every single person has that. Every single person needs that. The goal of the gospel is so that you love. To make you love. The Bible says, love others as you love yourself. How can you love others if you cannot love yourself correctly? And most people don't know how to love themselves correctly because it feels wrong to love yourself. You can only love yourself with purity and humility once you understand who God says you are. And that you've died. It's not about you. And the problem with talking about identity, if you just talk about identity, which is who God's made you, is that if you just talk about that, it's still about you. But the very core, the very essence of identity is that it's not about you at all. Hello? So, Matthew 28 says this, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. For the scholars amongst us, for the Greek and Hebrew scholars, there's two words, or two Greek words for observe. That's observe by doing, not by studying. Just for those who are interested. Teach them to observe, in other words, do all the things that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. So, in the world, where the world looks at the church, in a world where debate has taken center stage, everything is debated, everything is an argument, the gospel cannot be a message, it has to be a life lived. Because otherwise it just pays attention to debate. So the gospel is more than a message. The gospel has in itself, the gospel simply means good news. It has inherent power within itself, which makes it something that's alive. It makes it more than a message. That's the gospel. And the gospel is designed to change you. The gospel is actually designed to kill you. People don't like that God. It's a fact. Because when you get saved, you get buried in Christ. And you get co-raised with Him. The gospel is designed to turn you inside out, upside down. It's designed to transform you. The gospel was never designed to serve you. Never. It's designed to change you from the inside out. And true freedom comes to you when you understand the gospel. It's not, I'm not going to do that because the Bible says that's already and I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that because inside I've been transformed. I don't even want it anymore. That's real freedom. It's not because it's wrong. That's what the gospel can do if you perceive the gospel as the word says it. So, then, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. It's the gospel of the kingdom. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus came preaching the gospel of the kingdom to disciple the nations. Friends, that's the great commission. Disciple the nations. Disciple the nations. It's not America. It's not free life. It's not evergreen. It's not... It's the nations of the earth. And that seems so impossible, but it's not impossible if we understand the gospel. It's really not. And the kingdom is bigger than the church. And the kingdom is bigger than the gospel. 
That's why it's the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom means the king's domain. Everywhere is where the king has dominion, which is everywhere you stand. Because you're an ambassador. That's the king's domain. So the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom will never pass away. But the gospel is for here, for now. It's the good news which conveys you from the, from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Colossians 1. It conveys you, transports you from darkness into His marvelous light. It's a one-step program. From there to there. That's it. Justification made just as if I've never sinned. Bam. Over. That's the gospel. Okay? So, Matthew chapter 6, you all there right before me. Matthew 6. Let's go to verse. Let's go to verse 25. It says, "Therefore," and I know there's many people going, "Oh, what is it therefore?" So, therefore, if you want to understand the context, Jesus just spoke about, "Do not lay up treasures in heaven," which is really to say, "Think with eternity in your mind, have eternity in your heart." It's not about everything you do here. He spoke about the lamp of the body. You cannot serve money and God. In other words. Think with eternal perspective, and even though you're in the world, be not of it. Okay? That's the general understanding of the context. He says this, Matthew 25, sorry, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Or than them? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and how they toil and spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not erased, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven of the fire of some translation, which he not, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore, do not worry. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need of all these things. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. So he's saying, think with eternal perspective, live in the world and be not of it, and do not worry about all these things. The greatest issue I would say I've run into in this nation is, in terms of an identity issue, is anxiety. Every second person I'm, I'm anxious, I have anxiety issues. Bible says don't worry. So I can preach this in a way that says you shouldn't worry, but legalism and condemnation. But does it help? It's not going to help. I can change it one bit. What's the answer? It says, are you not of more value? It's a value issue. It's a value issue. Friends, your value, anything in the marketplace, the value is determined by what you pay for. Yeah? Yeah, you know, because when I go to Dwayne's work and they have free nitrogen-infused coffee, that's valuable to me. It's much better than Starbucks coffee, even though I don't pay for it. Thank you, Dwayne. But our value, friends, where you draw your value from, very big deal. The greatest price that was ever paid was paid for you. We have to understand this. Greatest price that was ever paid on the face of the earth was paid for you. 
your value is set, it's fixed, it cannot change, it cannot be altered. Regardless of what you do, what you don't do, of your ups and of your downs, your value is set. When your value is set, when your value is fixed, you can be consistent. I said this to Jim, when your value is constant, your life will be consistent. You will gain everything you put your hand to, you will gain traction. When you're drawing your value from all these other places, from your work, your career, your spouse, your children, your money, whatever, when you're drawing your value from any other thing, all those things are naturally in flux. Your life will go up and down, your marriage will go up and down, your, if you think it doesn't, it's because you've been married for like a week, but things will go up like this and down. That's a fact. If you draw your value from any of those things, your value will go up and down. And what will it cause? Anxiety, worry, fear. When you understand your identity in Christ, then your value becomes constant, your life becomes consistent. Because your value never changes. Doesn't mean you don't work hard, doesn't mean you don't have a fantastic job, doesn't mean you're going to have some rich and some poor. None of that comes into your values. Value is fixed. Then why does it say, excuse me, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? The kingdom is the right focus. Focus on the kingdom. Not the church, the kingdom. The church will pass away. The kingdom will never pass away. The kingdom cannot be shaken. So he's saying that's the right focus. In this great commission of disciples of the nations, the focus is the kingdom. In that focus, and in this commission, you need to understand one thing. The kingdom and what? His righteousness. Why is that so important? That is your identity. It's the, it's the door you walk through that starts your identity. Last week, this is what I hope some of you understand. Last week, speaking about coming here, we spoke about unity. We spoke about Psalm 133, right? How pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. For it is like the precious oil that runs down on the head, down onto the beard, to the beard of Aaron, which rose off the edge of his garments. Okay? That's what it says, pretty much word for word. Psalm 133. The point is that it talks about your garment. And I know the head is Christ, the beard is maturity, Aaron is the priest. There's much we can go into, but I'm going to talk about that. It's a garment. Why is that so important? Throughout the Bible, there's this prevailing language of garments. There's warriors' garments, and I said this last week, priestly garments, royal garments, worshippers' garments. It, even in more than just the Jewish culture. Across the face of the earth, that was how it was. You want to identify a person from a distance by their garment. Look, even with Joseph, separated from his brothers by his garment. Okay? It was what identified them. That's in the natural, in the old. In the new, it's in the spirit. Yes? What robe do you wear in the new? The robe of righteousness. It's your identity. It's your robe. It's what you wear in the New Testament. You are actually separate from every other person on the face of the earth. And I don't, I don't have time to get into this. I wish I did, friends. I really wish I did. This stuff is so not hard. But you are separate. When the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 that behold, all things are made new, you're a new creation, it means a new species on the earth. 
You're still human, but you're different to every other human because Jesus found that kingdom. He found a way to put that kingdom inside you. Couldn't do that in the old. He said, for the kingdom, don't no, say, here the kingdom, and here is the kingdom, and here is the kingdom. He says, for the kingdom is now within you. Luke 17, here in one of He found a way to put the kingdom inside you, and he puts a robe of righteousness on you. It's the very thing by which people identify. They're one of the righteous ones. And it's not their righteousness. It's his. Seek you first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's propitiation. His righteousness placed on me. I do nothing. He did and until we understand that, not here, and what that means, and the up, outward effects of that, we will go up and down and struggle and fight, and our value will just be like this. Hello? It's a very big deal. It's a very big deal. God decided, what is it? The oil. God's desire, our right here, is to saturate that rod, your identity, with His anointing oil, which is His Spirit. To saturate you with His Spirit, that's His desire. But it comes with unity. The problem is that we can only have biblical unity when I'm free from others. I can only have unity with a person when nothing that they do affects me. That's biblical unity. And you can only have unity like that. When you're not affected by people because God set me free from me. Hello? Let me explain. Let me explain. We have to remember that the gospel has set me free from me. Which makes me free from you. What do I mean? When Adam came, he seemed to be what happened. When you're born physically, you're born under the corruption of Adam. There's a penalty of death over your life. We don't like it, it is true. See friends, don't get distracted. When you're born, you're born with a penalty of death over your life. Death entered. The Bible says in Romans 5 and 6, I would love to go there and take the time to read it. It says, from Adam to Moses, death reigned, even though they did not transgress in the likeness of Adam. Why? Because Adam had a law, do not eat from the tree. But the others didn't, because the law of Moses had to cut. Okay? Adam, suck it. Todd, Josh, Josh is back there. He can tell you, I can tell you. I say, especially to my youngest one. Oldest son might say, yes, Dad. The youngest one, uh, maybe not. <laughs> I say, don't do this. That's what he does. Right? Because by the law, it's knowledge of sin, Romans 5. So death reigned, it's like mortal for those who love Lord of the Rings, right? There's death reigned on the earth from Adam, from the time of Adam, even before the law. Then the law introduced. What is the law? The law, the law, I don't know how to say it. The law is. <laughs> the law is not, it's not just the mosaic law, please understand. It's any relationship dictated by rules instead of love. That's the law. Because God wants a relationship with His children. He put the law in place so they would fall to their knees to see that they couldn't do it, so they would point to Christ. And now I'm giving you a history lesson real fast, so you can stick with me. Alright. Very important. Death reigned. Death reigned. And I know I know this a few weeks ago. And the Bible says, 
Because death reign, yeah, we're going to forget these notes. Death reign from Adam onwards until Christ. Friends, we have to see this. And the Bible says, for the power of sin, the power of death is sin. No, the strength, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So death reign, death is what's in charge. It employs someone called sin. The sting of death is sin. So it's like that becomes in the Bible in Romans 6 says that sin was to you a slave master. Okay, so think Old Testament, think slave master, building the pyramids, whatever, right? Slave master, sin is a slave master, and it has authority that is given to it from death, because death reigned on the earth, because of the sin, sin of Adam. And the Bible says that God took the law, and that the law was like a, a, a whip in that master's hand. It says, for the power, the sting of death is sin, and the power or the strength of that sin is the law. Now, let me explain that. Are you still with me? Romans 7. We're going through Romans 5, 6, and 7. The spine of the gospel. Very quickly. Romans 7 describes the law as your husband. You have two husbands in the Bible. The law and Christ. Describes it as your husband. The problem with it, as I wrote it down here somewhere, is that the law as a husband is designed to point out our faults, not like the accuser, the devil. He does that too, but he lies. When the law says that it's true, because the law is holy. The law doesn't lie. It's like the worst person to be married to, right? They never do anything wrong. <laughs> Ever. Ever. What's it like, babe? No, I'm just kidding. That's a lie. That's a lie. the other way around. See people are patting you saying I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's what it's like, right? You, you, you marry to the law, it never dies. Please hear me, it never dies. It's never wrong. Its job is to point out your faults. And it's always right. It itself never makes a mistake. It lives forever and you cannot divorce it. Okay? Problem. So Jesus came along and said, no problem. I'll deal with it. First I have to become a man. I will become a man. I will die. By faith in me, you're declaring that you identify. That's why I preach the gospel to all the nations. What's the first thing? Baptizing. What's baptism? Identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Why is that important? Saying, you can't, the law will never die. I found a way that if you put your faith in me, you die. Which makes your marriage to the law null and void. And you get raised with a new husband. Right? Very, very important. So that's what happened. Friends, that's the beginning. That's the very early beginning. Most believers don't understand that. And it's not an arrogance thing. It, it's a compassion thing. Because it will set you free. So you get raised to the newness of life. That's why you're born again. Think about what it actually means. The person you were born under Adam, in other words, when you get born physically, when you get born into the world, we have to understand the emotions we grow up, we think the emotions we grow up with are from God? No. No, 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 no. That's the system of the world that is training, it's different. Now I'm angry at her, but she said to me, yeah, but you don't understand what they did. Right. And yet the church is full of it. Why? Because they don't understand the gospel. Because somehow the gospel became all about us and not about him. But then it's a way to freedom, and it's a rediscovery of what the Bible says the gospel is. Because the gospel kills you. 
Thank goodness. So when we say die to self, it's not this arm's die to self. It's die to the false identity that you're born under Adam, that you were never meant to be. And you have to retrain your mind. That's why the Bible says the renewing of the mind. You get a new spirit, a new heart, heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. You get a, the mind of Christ, but you have to learn to think according to that. Everything's new, yet your mind that says, renew the mind. Because the mind remembers, because it was trained in the system of the world. So the mind remembers, I, this person does, I must react. Just means I'm not free from that. Because if people doing to me causes something in me, who's dictating truth to me? Who's my master? Them. Is their action to me? Friends, that's the gospel. And it's the very base form of the gospel. And we get raised in life with a new husband. And the Bible says you move in that moment, which is justification. Fancy word. You've been made just as if I've never sinned. In that moment, you've been moved from one husband to the other. And the Bible says you get moved from being a slave to sin, the master who whoops you, to a slave of righteousness. So when you make a mistake, your new husband, who knows you better than you know yourself, because he made you. When you make a mistake, he's innocent, he doesn't whoop you. But his whole thing is, he reminds you, you're right with God. Righteousness. It's my righteousness, it's not yours. You're still forgiven. I still love you. That's the way he treats you. Because he loves. He is love. But we always run back to the last husband because we feel like we have to earn it again. And so Christians do this bang, bang, And unfortunately, and I'm not trying to step on any toes, much teaching in the church does this. They preach this, which is a little bit of that, and a little bit of this, and a little bit of that, and a little bit of this. Because they're afraid if they just tell people this, people are going to go and sin and be crazy. The truth is, the Bible says, grace and Titus teaches you to say no to sin. If you're, we are not the Holy Spirit, which means when I show someone pure truth, pure grace, that it becomes an instructor to them, and a teacher to them, and it transforms them from the inside out. That's the gospel. So, changes everything. Why? Because we carry some truth. Friends, we are carriers of truth. We are ambassadors of another kingdom. We have to understand this. All of us. Not just my father. Not just me. Not just Aaron. He runs around the streets and prays for everything that moves. That's awesome. You don't all have to be like that. That's him. It's who are you? You know who you are in Christ. We were made under Adam to display one thing, the image of God. That's it. Men and women. To display the image of God. That got cut, our knees got taken out through sin. Jesus made it again. Why? So that we can be transformed. We conformed into what? Again, the image of Christ. It's the same thing that we have. That's the gospel. Now, go to Luke chapter 4. We're going to end with this. Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all stuff that you 
see, all the stuff that we put our value in, all the stuff that we need, all the stuff that is actually the cause of our anxiety and our worry and our fear. Well, he said that she thinks, but you don't know that I've had so much unforgiveness because what my mother did, and all that, and they have more money than me, it's not like they're more money. They got given money, their parents, and I didn't, so they need to learn what it's like to be without money, and they don't appreciate what they have. I mean, for goodness sake. All that stuff leaves when you understand your value. Temptation of Christ. Now, I know what it, we can get into this, I don't have time. We're just simply going to read the temptation of Christ through the lens of identity. Okay? Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Luke 4:1, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when he had ended, he was hungry. Obviously. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Now, we all know that in the garden, what was it's in a sense ancient theology, was the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the fire of life. We understand that the same temptations kind of took place here in Luke chapter 4. If you've been raised in church, you know what I'm talking about. We're going to look at it differently. If you are the Son, what did the devil challenge? This is what is the Bible? What is another name for Jesus? The last Adam. Okay? First Adam. Adam, actual Adam. And the last Adam, Christ. What did the devil say the first Adam? Did God say? What did he challenge? The Word of God. Which means he challenges his integrity and his nature. If God says something to me and I don't believe it, why? Because I don't trust his integrity and his nature. Right? What's he trying to throw to Adam? Do you really trust God's integrity? Did he really say? I mean, challenging the Word of God. So what happened? Jesus said, okay, we challenge the Word of God. I'll become the Word of God made flesh. So it says. So he becomes the Word of God made flesh. That second Adam, he comes in. And what, it, what, what just happened before Luke 4? Luke 3. Not that, no. <laughs> what just happened before Luke chapter 4? Matthew chapter 3. He had just come out of the water. You are my son, who I love, with whom I am well pleased. Right? Identity, son. Acceptance and approval. Please with you and I love you. You just heard those three things. He's just been equipped to deal with what is just about a fight. So he goes into the desert. And what's the first thing the devil does? If you really are on son. What is he challenging in Christ? His identity. He's just been told you're the son. If you are the son, command. This bread couldn't be anything. Command. Now we all know it's bread because he was hungry, but command. What do you say? If you really love God's son, and you, you then you have this authority, do something. Let's see if it works. Do something. I wrote command. Prove your identity. Something like the devil saying to him. Use the authority God has given you. See if it will happen. The devil brings that to your doorstep. You say you have faith, you say you believe in God, pray for this person and see what happens. If Jesus did it, he could have. It was not for the lack of ability. I personally believe in Jesus' heart. He was like he was saying, I will never allow my identity and my sonship to be, to be determined for what I do. Never. Are you God's son? Really? If you're God's son, do this. Command, use your authority. I wrote you. I will not allow my sonship and my identity 
and my value to be determined by the things I do for my father. Never. Reckon yourself dead to sin because you died. 
at your cross, take up your cross, then you die. That old person, he's gone, he's dead. So reckon yourself dead to that. And take that is your cross, that's the cross that you die. And follow me with the new person that I gave you in the newness of life. It's called walking in the spirit. I'm trying to make this as simple and as communicable as possible. Because it's all one message. It's all the same thing in the Gospels, over and over and over and over. Go read Galatians. It's the book of Galatians. Are you so foolish, Galatians? Are you now trying to accomplish in the flesh what can only be done by the Spirit? That's what the Bible says. Because the old man, he tries to give us away around our personal cross. And the last thing he says, you know what he says, verse 9. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, what's he challenging again? He's not there to take If you are the Son, if you are the Son, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. It's like this. The devil comes and he says, See this awful situation going. I mean, he's quoting scripture to Jesus. That's Psalm 91. Think the devil doesn't know the Bible? Knows it backwards, inside out, knows it better than you. So the scriptures don't save your life. Please don't be offended. Jesus Christ. But he is this. But the devil comes along and says, so it's like this. He says, you see this awful situation? I'm not sure if God loves you, but look at the situation here. He said, look at that. Oh, I don't know why he's allowing this. With the, with the, with the Lord, he quoted scripture. Why don't you throw yourself off, see if God comes to your aid? You know Psalm 91, Lord. You know that Psalm 91, you wouldn't call the Lord. And he says, you know Psalm 91, it's my, it's a messianic psalm, it's all about you. So why don't you throw yourself off and see if your father actually loves you? if he keeps his side of work. When we think like that, we don't. You see the situation? God said he would give you more than you can handle. But now he is. Now maybe he doesn't love you. Maybe it's not true. Maybe. Everybody knows it. 
is not hidden. It's, it's easy. It's much easier. They're not, my value is not determined by that. My future is determined by him. What's the crux of this? Remember when I said a couple of weeks ago, I said, why is it so important? When your identity starts to soak into you, deep inside of you, and tragedy is not dictating your truth, because if we allow that, we're done. Because as soon as our belief system gets altered by a tragedy, then tragedy is dictating truth. So when we are saturated in our identity, and our value is constant, and our life is consistent, and I'm being set free from who I, who I was born under Adam, I'm free from it, which means I'm free from you. Doesn't, I'm not saying I'm living perfectly like this, but this is the truth. And when that starts to set in, I said, when something happens, and the enemy starts to lie. And your reaction is, or when I make a mistake, you know, whatever, I kick the dog through the glass door, or whatever, I make a big mistake, I've broken the glass door, she's mad at me, my son got cut, whatever, big problem, I cause the problem. The enemy comes, look what you did again, I told you you couldn't do it. It's not, oh God, I'm so sorry, I don't know. It's, man, God, you love me, thank you that I'm righteous, I thank you that I'm forgiven. I know I've just acted like this, and I know that's not your heart for me, not because it's bad, but because you gave me this life, you gave me this freedom, this is who you've made me, this is who you've said I am. And you remind yourself of the gospel. Why is that so powerful? And friends, not in here, say it. Let it come out of your mouth. There's a guy who lives downstairs in the church property, Michelle and Debbie Fulmers, there in North Carolina. They'll tell you, my music in the office is cranked loud, not because I like loud music, because I pray loud. Because I know it has to come out of my mouth. And so I pray like this, and I pray like this. And what's happened is the attack of the enemy, either because of something I've done, or some circumstance that's overwhelming me, or whatever, or someone's being mean and horrible to me, which is going to happen to all of us, that starts to take place. My reaction is one of identity. Not trying to remember the last sermon. What was I supposed to do? What did I say? <laughs> it has to grab the hold of your heart then. You've got to put it in and put it in and put it in. And when it's a reaction and it comes out of you, then what's happened is the attack of the enemy has actually assisted in forming you into the image of Christ. And he will leave you alone. He will. He will not harm you. And that is what happened here. It says here, Jesus said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended, he departed from him. He will return at an opportune time. But whenever you've gained victory, so when your identity is challenged, that's what was challenged, and it's mainly your identity that will be challenged. When your identity is challenged and you gain victory, in that area, you have resurrection power. That's a fact. That's what you see happening here. Jesus, we all know, all people that love the things of the Spirit know what I'm about to say. Jesus went into the desert full of the Spirit. He came out in that power of the Spirit. Why? When you win the challenge of your identity, power is released. That's a fact. So, friends, we have a commission. The result of all this stuff is identity. Is the Christian you want to be, that we've all tried to be, becomes real, becomes natural, becomes normal. 
we all have ups and downs, yes. Will I offend you sometimes? Can even be mean sometimes, yes. I don't mean to, but we all have a process. But let this truth grab a hold of you. Let it take a hold of your very soul. Miracles, the supernatural, will be natural if you understand this. Because all faith operates by love. Faith working itself through love. But I cannot love his way if I don't know who I am. anyone in this auditorium, as I'm speaking, you feel your heart just saying, you know, you don't know God, you've never given your life to Him, now you understand when you give your life, you give your life, it is no longer your own, you were born with a price. So the same scripture that kills you also gives you value. So you're in this auditorium and you're saying, God, I don't know you, I've never given my heart to you, I've never understood the gospel. With all eyes closed, with all closed eyes, if that's you, I'd love you to raise your hand. I know that's a cliche thing, but I'd love that because I'd love to pray for you. I will not bother you up front. I will not trick you. If that is you, and you want to give your heart to the Lord, just raise your hand and I'd love to pray for you. If there is anybody, I don't know if there is. Living on 